You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Daniel chapter 4. I, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought to me and that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who is named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches." And all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. 
Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all under which beasts of the fields found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who has grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, believe the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O Cain. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will." And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity." All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of man, and gives it to whom he will." Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, 
I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures for generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven." And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Outstanding. Thank you, Isabella. Thank you so much for reading the text uh, for us. Uh, It's another great passage from Daniel as we're working our way through this book. Uh, If you're new, let me join my voice to Rob's and say thank you for joining us uh, for our online service today. Uh, We're really glad to have you with us. And today we're reading and studying Daniel chapter 4. And as we've gone through the book of Daniel, even last week looking at chapter 3, I am amazed how the events and the themes, probably more importantly, the themes that we are covering in the book of Daniel map on to our current circumstances so clearly. We're in a unique time of uncertainty. There's obviously a health scare, so there's an uh, an uncertainty that's tied to that. Uh, There's also uncertainty with regard to uh, our uh, economy, both at a macro level, what's going to happen nationally, and at a micro level. Perhaps some of you have lost your jobs or you've had a reduction in income. And so the, the financial uncertainties hit you in a very real way right now. There's also a sort of a a psychological suffering that's going on. Uh, Many are feeling isolated uh, from coworkers, from friends, from one another, even as we're gathering virtually and not live today in the church. So there is that sense of isolation that can, for many of us, feel dark and, you know, almost oppressive, heavy, Uh, So it's a challenging, challenging time. And while I can't say specifically what God is doing in your life during this time or what he's doing in our church or certainly what he's doing in our nation, I, I don't know what he's doing exactly. But this I feel like I can say with confidence. He is doing something. Seasons like this. Um, are the seasons where God works profoundly in his people and oftentimes in a broader culture as well. I was reading this week in preparation uh, a commentary written by Ian Dugid on the book of Daniel. And when he gets to this section about King Nebuchadnezzar and all that he went through, he writes the following. And I, I, I felt like this could have been written last week uh, instead of a number of years ago. This is what he wrote, and I hope this will encourage you, even though it's somewhat ominous. He says, discontent and disaster, or at least profound personal discomfort, 
are very often the necessary precursors of spiritual growth and change. As long as we are comfortable and at ease in the world, we are not normally ready to examine our hearts and institute deep changes. On the other hand, When God disturbs the calm waters of our lives, we begin to be ready to seek different paths to pursue. It is often when our career hopes are dashed, or our marriage relationship is in shreds, or the doctor announces that we have only a few months to live, that we are finally persuaded to become serious about spiritual things. If that is true, however, it suggests that we should approach these troubled times of our lives with a far more positive outlook than we normally do. These shattering experiences should prompt within us the expectation and hope that God is going to do something important in our lives. It is precisely through the storms of life that God will show us who we really are and even more importantly, who he really is. I can relate to that. I mean, even sort of being locked down in our home, sometimes that shows us who we really are. And maybe we don't like what we see. It shows our family who we really are as well, for better or for worse. But it also shows us who God really is, difficult times. And when we read the Bible, we find time and time again that the pathway to growth The pathway to maturity is always through the pathway of difficulty or the pathway of suffering. And while it would be irresponsible for me to sort of prescribe what God is teaching you right now, I don't know. But it would also be irresponsible for me to move past this moment without acknowledging that hard times are the times that God does his deepest work of life change if we will but look to him and respond to him. And the account that we just heard read is a perfect example of that. It is an example of Nebuchadnezzar hitting rock bottom until he then looks up and sees God, and his life is radically changed through this chapter, which is really a testimony. So what I want to do is review the chapter, what we just heard, and bring out some some kind of highlight points out of it. And then I want to make some application, really a single application for all of us at the end. And so what I'd like to do is talk about the three characters of the story. Uh, I'm going to look at them and say, what do we learn? What do we learn, first of all, about Nebuchadnezzar? Secondly, what do we learn about Daniel? And thirdly, what do we learn about God? For he is ultimately the key figure in this narrative. First of all, what do we learn about uh, King Nebuchadnezzar? Well, he sort of gives us a testimony and sort of gives us the point of the whole chapter at the beginning when he writes, uh, or when rather Daniel writes um, in chapter 2, I'm sorry, in verse 2, it says, it seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. So the purpose of this whole chapter is he's going to reveal the signs and the wonders that God has done, and he's going to show how he saw his kingdom right-sized before the glorious eternal kingdom of God Almighty. And through this ordeal, he comes to ultimately celebrate the kingdom of God. So the narrative begins with great days, wonderful days, dream days in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 4, I was at ease in my house. 
and I was prospering in my palace. I mean, that's the life. Living in a palace, ruling the world, literally, ruling the world, and living the life of ease. But what happens is something comes in and explodes into his privileged life. He receives a dream, a second dream in the book, and this dream is fearful. It it causes him to be alarmed is the word he uses. So he's at ease and all of a sudden an alarm goes off. That's kind of what it feels like we're living through right now. Something is, there's a wake up, an alarm goes off for him with this dream. And so he does what he does with the previous dream. He calls in uh, all of his sort of guys and I don't know if they're women as well, but people who specialized in the dark arts and he invites them in to interpret his dream and none of them can do it. It's another sign where God is showing us that the pagan way is the dark and empty way. What he needs is somebody who knows God. He needs someone to bring light into the darkness and reveal what the dream is about. So that's exactly what happens. Daniel comes in and uh, he, he describes Daniel in a way that I'm not sure Daniel would really want to be known. Uh, he describes him as the chief of the magicians, uh, which is probably not the title Daniel would have put on his own business card had he a say in the matter. And he says he brought in Daniel because the spirit of the holy gods, plural, is in him and nothing is too difficult for him. For a, so for a good Jewish monotheist to be called one in whom the spirit of the holy gods, plural, lives, probably, again, isn't the title he would want. But there's something key to see here when we talk about public faith. He knew Daniel knew God, and though he didn't have the vocabulary to describe it with theological accuracy, he knew God, uh, he knew Daniel was working in God, and he had seen Daniel in God's life. Sometimes maybe that has happened to you. It's a great compliment to have someone who does not know the Lord and could not describe your faith or relationship with God. Maybe they would just say something about you. A coworker uh, would say something like, you know, uh, he is uh, a really religious person. And because he's such a devout and religious person, he always tells the truth. Well, you wouldn't perhaps describe yourself as a religious. That wouldn't be the first thing you'd want to be known for. But they see God in your character and they use language to to describe you, which ultimately glorifies the Lord. Well, he then tells uh, Daniel the dream. He says, I had this dream and there is this massive tree and the tree reaches all the way up to heaven and there are branches that are spread out. Everyone on earth can see the tree and in the branches, all the birds live and it provides shade for all the beasts of the field. And it's a fruitful tree that, that feeds the whole creation. And so he's describing this abundant, flourishing, massive tree. And then all of a sudden, a watcher comes in. A watcher's a name for an angel or a messenger, divine messenger. And so this watcher comes in and he says, cut down the tree, chop down the tree, tear down the branches and leave only a stump. And then he personifies the stump, which is interesting. In verse 16, the watcher says, let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. So the stump is a man. And he says here that the man's will be changed with an animal, will become like an animal is what he says. And the whole point of the dream is then given by the watcher in verse 17, where he says, 
The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules. This is the point, that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So that's the big idea behind the dream, but he still requires an interpretation. So Daniel comes in, and then Daniel delivers the news, the ominous news. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the tree, and you have become great, and your kingdom is expansive and powerful. The whole world looks to you and to your kingdom But just as great as your kingdom and just as great as you have been, you will have a great fall. That's what he tells him. You will fall. Uh, it's It's this warning from God. He says, but when the tree falls, the stump will remain. And so there is hope. There is hope in a stump. And Daniel actually appeals to him to repent. He says, if you recognize the king of heaven, And this is key, this is repentance. If you will show mercy to the oppressed, then maybe your prosperity will continue. So King Nebuchadnezzar, this is a warning. You've already had revelations of God. He's giving you another one. And if you will respond and repent, your prosperity may continue. Well, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen. He ignores the dream. And nothing happens for a year, the text tells us. Nothing happens for an entire year. And then, verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and says, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar is a proud man. He is walking and overlooking the city of Babylon, and the city of Babylon, by, by the standards of this day, was impressive. I mean, the city of Babylon housed one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, the, Babylon, the hanging gardens of Babylon. He had those built for his wife. And so this was part of their city. Their city walls, the inner wall and the outer wall, were massive, impressive. The whole city structure was an impressive structure. And when he takes in all the glory of Babylon, as he views it, as he looks down and sees it, he takes in the glory of Babylon and he takes the glory for himself. For his language is, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty. I did the work and it glorifies me. Now, actually, Nebuchadnezzar didn't build anything. He never touched a brick. The city was built on the backs of slaves. It was built on the backs of exiles, people that had been kidnapped, in essence, and brought to Babylon to work. It was built on the backs of poor laborers who probably worked at survival-type wages. He had oppressed many to exalt himself. And this is why, through Daniel, God calls him to cease oppressing people and show them mercy. 
But the greatest problem is not just his delusion that he's done something great when others have been harmed. The greatest problem is that he refuses to recognize that the God of heaven has given all of this to him. Why is he the ruler in Babylon? Why is this city accomplished what it has only because of the hand of God by his common grace? God had previously been speaking to him, but he ignored it. He was warned, but he gloried in himself, and he became like a beast. He was driven away from people. He ate grass. His hair grew. His nails were like a bird's claw. I mean, this guy completely lost it. I mean, he lost his mind. It's a picture of madness. And don't miss this, that Nebuchadnezzar is the prototype of the mad human being. He is the prototype of crazy. Because to live as if God doesn't exist, to live as if you can act as you want without moral accountability to God, To live as if you can harm other people and oppress them and there's no judgment or no responsibility before a holy God of the universe. To live as if everything you accomplished has been your own doing and to forget God even after you know God. God has revealed himself in the previous two chapters to Nebuchadnezzar. He knows the most high God and yet he forgot all about him and takes all glory to himself, to live as if there is no God, as if I am the creator of my own destiny. That is the textbook definition of madness. That is absolute craziness to credit ourselves and to forget God. And the reality is all of us are tempted to this kind of crazy thinking. We're all tempted to this sort of delusion We think, wow, he's eating grass. I mean, I read commentaries where uh, scholars are taking modern-day diagnoses. I don't know if you knew this, but there are modern-day diagnoses of people who, through mental illness, think they are animals and actually do the very things he did here, eat, uh, you know, try to sound like animals and act like, and they're trying to talk. Well, maybe he had a, uh, one of these, what we would know as, I don't know the names of them, but some kind of a mental condition that makes you think you're an animal. Maybe that's what he has. Well, I don't know. Maybe he did have that, but that's not the point for us to diagnose his mental condition. The point is this is what insanity is. Insanity is to forget God. It's to ignore the creator. It's to turn our back on the gracious God of the universe. Dale Ralph Davis, one of my favorite commentators, I think he's driving the number 19 Bass Pro Shops car in the race next week. But anyway, he said, for we are all a bunch of Nebuchadnezzar clones wanting to call our own shots to direct our own show as puny as it is and seldom except in a rare moment of sanity, stopping to consider how asinine our passion for self-deification is. He's saying, this is us. 
We want to call our own shots. Our world is puny and our accomplishments are minuscule compared to Nebuchadnezzar. But nonetheless, we still want to take credit. And if someone else is given a credit we will, for something we did, someone else is recognized for something we did, we are all master manipulators to somehow sort of, you know, uh, sort of secretively drop in there what we actually did to let other people know what we have done. We want the credit, don't we? What do we learn about Nebuchadnezzar? He's proud. He's more aware of himself than he is of God. He's more focused on himself than he cares about others. He's more focused on his accomplishments than he's focused on all that God has provided for him. And we also learn Nebuchadnezzar is us. We are all tempted this way. That's what we learned. What do we learn about Daniel very briefly? Well, we learned that Daniel is compassionate. If Nebuchadnezzar is proud, Daniel is compassionate. When asked to interpret the dream, we find that Daniel is, well, he's kind of broken by the whole thing. It says that Daniel is actually alarmed as well, just as Nebuchadnezzar was alarmed. He says, may this dream be for those who hate you, for your enemies. It's a way of saying, I wouldn't wish this dream on your, you know, on your greatest enemy. It's that bad. I, or actually, I would wish this on your enemy. I wish this wasn't you, is what he has said. Daniel has faithfully served Babylon. He has faithfully served an arrogant pagan king. And this is the moment where he could say, see, you, this, you finally getting what you deserve. I have been waiting for this day to, to declare to you that you're coming down, you know, you arrogant. That's, that's self-righteous. He grieves that the pagan king that he has served is being affected like this. He, he, he holds out to him the hope. Verse 27 again, therefore, king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. He, he's humble. Please receive this. Break off your sins. Practice righteousness. Show mercy to the oppressed. And perhaps there will be a lengthening of your prosperity. There's a, there's a desire for Nebuchadnezzar to repent and to turn, not to glory in his demise. And I don't know about you, but I'm very tempted when I see a proud person, uh, when I look in the mirror for one, but when I see a proud, notable person glorying in themselves and, you, and they fall and there's just a celebration, I want to see them fall. Uh, and that's not humility. That's not compassion as Daniel. I mean, I got to confess, I'm trying to monitor it. I'm not doing real well, but I'm trying to monitor my intake of all that's going on right now. I want to be informed, but I don't want to control my life. But I am so tempted when I see a talking head. I, everybody has an opinion about what should be happening right now, okay? And so when I see a talking head on television with a different opinion, or I read an article where a political leader could be local, state, national, doesn't matter, but a political leader is advocating for a response that, that I would disagree with, like I know, but that I would disagree with what we should be doing, I, I, there's this sense in which I think, you know, I can't wait until you're proven wrong. Wouldn't it be great when your counsel is held back up to you and you see that the approach that you're advocating is wrong? See, I, that, that is pride. That is not the humility and, and the brokenness and the alarm and the appeal for repentance that Daniel has. Daniel's compassionate. Lastly, what do we learn about God? Well, we learn that God is merciful. God has been revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar. 
In the first dream, chapter 2, he showed Nebuchadnezzar, you're the gold head in the figure, but there's coming a kingdom after you that never ends. The whole point of the dream was, Nebuchadnezzar, I've blessed you, I've entrusted to you a kingdom, but I want to make you aware of a greater kingdom. Look to the greater kingdom and basically be humble. He revealed himself in that dream through Daniel. In chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are rescued from the fire, Nebuchadnezzar says, everyone should worship their God. As a matter of fact, if anybody speaks against their God, we will rip you limb from limb. That's actually what he says. He's so impressed with God. If you even say anything bad about that God, you die. So he's had these profound revelations. Now he gets a a vision, a dream. You're like a tree. You're going to be cut down, just a stump left. But you can repent. You can turn, and that won't happen. And he ignores it. And instead, a year later, saying, look at me. Look at what I have done. And yet God has been merciful. God didn't act through the first vision, through the second uh, experience, through the third vision. He waited an entire year. Why does he do that? Because as one author says, mercy loves delays. Mercy loves delays. God is long-suffering. God is patient. God is merciful. He reveals himself to us. And if we don't respond immediately, he is patient and he is merciful. But he puts situations in our lives to call us to look to him. For Nebuchadnezzar, it was a dream. I think it's fair to say without playing prophet here this morning, I think it's fair to say that God wants our attention and that this is a season, this pandemic is an opportunity for all of us to look to God. I don't know what he wants to say to you or to me, but I know where he wants us to look. This is a season to humble ourselves, to cry out, to to ask God for his mercy and his power in this day. And I think there's probably some of you watching uh, this morning, and you know God, and you believe in Jesus. You may even believe in his death and resurrection. You may have even trusted him to forgive your sins and give you new life. But here's the reality. You have believed that, And you have entrusted your life to him at one point, but you have gone on, and for a long period of time, you've built your life without reference to him. You've built your life without really acknowledging that he is God most high, who rules the earth, as this text says. And you think, well, my life's been okay. Nothing really bad has happened. Yet. Yet, this text tells us that there is a judgment coming for all of us. It may be, you may not experience some terrible judgment in this life. It may be when you stand before God, but every one of us will stand before God. And he has been long-suffering. If you know him and you have wandered, please know he is patient and he is long-suffering. But judgment comes. Please know that and please look up to God. God is calling you to return to him. If Christ has made himself known to you, don't delay turn to him. Maybe you've never believed before. This is a time to turn. You say, well, I haven't personally been affected by this pandemic. I'm well. My family's well. I've got my job. I mean, some industries are actually doing better. You may say I'm prospering during this time in some way. Listen, don't miss what's happening in this season. An alarm. The dream was an alarm to Nebuchadnezzar. 
broadly, the world is alarmed right now. And when the alarm goes off, it means it's time to wake up. And it's time to look up. And it's time to see God is being merciful. Realize it may be going well for you. And you may feel like you've done well apart from God. But your life can change in an instant. And we're seeing that all over the planet. Your life can change in an instant. You could lose your life in an instant. This pandemic is showing all of us how small and vulnerable we really are. So don't sleep through the alarm. Allow this moment of clarity to grip your heart and to show you your need for God in your own vulnerability. Don't push down what the Lord is speaking to you. Don't try to silence the voice of the Spirit to you. God is calling you to come home. God is calling you to believe and trust Jesus as your Savior, to believe what he has done for you. Look what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he got his eyes off himself and looked up. In verse uh, 34, it says, Uh, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. Insanity is looking away from God and in my own pride, saying, look what I've accomplished. Sanity, brilliance, intelligence, uh, wisdom is to look to God and say, you're the God of heaven. I worship you. And that's what happens. His his sanity is restored to him. He is right-sized in his view of God. God is merciful. The second thing we learn about God, and I'll conclude here, God rules. God rules. Heaven rules over earth is what he communicates to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is turned into a beast, but he is restored when he looks to heaven. God exalts him, and there was still more greatness added to me, he says. He was actually restored to greater glory in his kingdom after all of this happened. He returned with a clear vision of God. And he praised and extolled God, the last verse, 37. I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He's warning, he's saying, he's basically saying, don't be like me. Don't be like me. Don't be like an ox eating grass, but humble yourself when the clarity of God comes. That's the point that the living, verse 17, may know that the most high God rules the kingdom of men. God wants us to not only know he rules, he wants us to respond. How can we respond? Well, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you can respond by bowing your knee and before God, metaphorically, I'm saying that. You don't literally have to do that, though that might be appropriate. Bow your knee before God and acknowledge the God of heaven uh, created you, and calls you to believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. He died for your sins. He rose. And as you turn from your sin and believe in him, you receive eternal life. And if you're a Christian, God is calling you to acknowledge his greatness in this time as well. How do we do that? I think one of the best ways is through prayer. The way we humble ourselves before God and acknowledge his rule is through prayer. My proudest days are my most prayerless days because I'm self-sufficient. My most humble days are the days when I'm acknowledging God throughout my day, casting my burdens and cares on him, asking for his aid and help, and doing the same for others as I intercede for them. Those are my greatest days of humility. My greatest days of pride are the days I run through without really bowing my heart before the Lord. So I'm going to call us to prayer. Uh, The elders of the church, every year we set a theme that we think the Lord's leading us to emphasize in the church. This year it's been public faith. Next year, which starts in September, we felt like it should be prayer. 
But I think we got an alarm to start early. We're not waiting until September to emphasize prayer. Like we're emphasizing it right now. And uh, this is the trailer. This is the movie trailer for what's coming in September, prayer. This is a time to pray. Isn't it great that 17 churches at least, maybe there's more, are joining in prayer tonight at 7 o'clock? This is a way we can say, Lord, you are king over our city. Our healthcare workers need grace. Our people need grace. We need protection for health and finances. We need salvation to come to the people of our city. We need renewal and revival. We need you forgive us for thinking we've accomplished things on our own. We humble ourselves just as we see here, and we look to you, the Most High God. There's multiple requests that you can pray that you'll be able to see on the Facebook page uh, or Instagram that list the request. Or if you're a member, you received an email about this Friday. So let's do that tonight. Let's pray for 19 minutes for COVID-19. And let's continue to pray together. I mean, we're not together, but I've been praying on phones with people. I've been praying on Zoom video calls. I've been texting and, hey, I'm praying for you. So we may not be in person praying, but we can, the Lord hears our prayers and we can pray together as a congregation, a season of prayer. We're in 21 days of prayer. There's a guide for that on the church website where you can take the prayer liturgy that's there and pray it through. Let's recognize God rules over the affairs of man. He is king. Let's bow our knee. I don't know what all's going on with the pandemic. I don't know what's going on with the financial markets, but I know where we should be on our knees, crying out to God, oh, you, king of heaven, rule over the affairs of man. We entrust ourselves to you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org. 